Good morning. Grateful you all are here. Tony had surgery on Tuesday, and he's here. Lyndall was in the hospital Thursday, and he's here. Grateful to see so many of you. We had some visitors here. Robin and Stuart are here. Those of you who are on the men's retreat know uh, Stuart, and so you can have compassion for Robin. So and it's, there she is back there, and, and they're together visiting us, and it's, it's a, an encouragement to us to see them coming our way. I was handed a note. It's not signed, but the word you is misspelled, and it says, uh, from the, uh, it says, from the office of Brenda Hyde on it. So I think I know who did this. And it says, would you tell him to please shorten it up a little? We've all been good this week, thanks. <laughs> I wonder who that is. And uh, I appreciate the sentiment. And, and, and people were so generous last week, and they kind of hooked a certain amount of money to the length of sermons in the future. I didn't pay one bit of attention to it. I wasn't consulted, so I won't say that that's going to matter much at all. Hope that you're having a good day and that you're ready for a good week and a good time to be in God's house as it already has been. Thanks for some great singing, Danny, great singing uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to uh, sing a song real quick, and then we're going we're gonna to get into Matthew chapter 5, so make your way there. And I'm going to say one thing to David Rickman is... You may not have the position anymore, but you're still an elder with me. That influence in your excellent life, and I just want you to know that. Jesus loves me, this I know. Tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Now today I'm going to separate myself from just your common, average, everyday preacher. I'm going to show you three talents that I have that are going to make you marvel. One of them is, I'm an excellent shooter of guns. Obviously, I'm not going to bring a real gun into an assembly. I would then not be a preacher. I would be a prisoner. So we're not going to do that. But I'm going to show you with a regular 498 Walmart gun just how good I am. This is the target right here, this big white thing. That's my target, and I promise you I'm going to hit it every time. And you're going to be marveling at this. You ready? Good. Now, it's not going to stick. I don't intend them to stick. Was that impressive or what? How about this? How? Oh, all right, this. What is wrong with you guys? Have you ever seen a preacher do that before? I mean, come on, you don't see that anywhere. Okay, all right, uh, that's not impressive to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something else. I'm going to try 500-pound weights. Okay, not 500, 50. No, five, but I'm going to try them. These are Melissa's, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to show you how easy this is for me. You ready? Weightlifting. Oh, what do you think? My shirt nearly ripped. What more do you want? You guys are pathetic. All right, so 
You're not impressed with weightlifting. Here's another one. I've got an artistic skill. I've got these special uh, uh, paint. No, these are colored pencils. I'm going to draw just in a few minutes, because it doesn't take me long, something so amazing that you're going to want to bid on this. In fact, we're going to give it up for, for uh, charity of some kind. I'm going to draw a picture, and you're going to want to bid on this. You ready? Hair, right? Do I hear a hundred bucks? Anybody willing to bid? Are y'all not impressed with this at all? I think I know the problem. I think the problem is this was too easy. Is that right? This was too easy. It's so natural. Any kid could do this. Anybody could go up and shoot a, a target this big. Anybody can lift up five pounds, right? And anybody can draw this little figure like of a smiling person. That's so easy. And here's the problem, though. I think a lot of us do this with our faith. We do the things that come natural to us and the things that just um, almost by nature we do. We come to church and we go back, back and live our lives and we just shoot for nothing. And we just have this general, what is called therapeutic moral deism. As long as I'm a good person and treat people good, I'm a great Christian person. And you walk away thinking how great this is. And I think this is what's happened in Matthew chapter 5. The target is too simple. It's so natural, it's easy. It doesn't take any practice at all. Any kid could do any of the stuff I've done this morning. Any kid could. There's nothing all that amazing about it. So we get in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, You've heard it said this way. Love your neighbor. Guys, it's easy to do this. Love your neighbor, defined as a person who's just like you, looks like you, same skin color, looks like you, acts like you, believes like you, lives near you, the people that you have a natural resonation with. Love those people. And everybody goes, that's right, love those people. It's an easy target. Notice how they finish this. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, where did that come from? That's not in Scripture anywhere. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, you've heard this. Even last week in the synagogue, you heard this. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. How did they come up with this? They look around and they say, people like me, people in the family of God, people who are children of God, I can love them. What do I do toward people in the world who treat me weird, who believe weird things and act weird ways? And so they start looking around and say, what do tax collectors do? Well, they, they love people who love them. What do Gentiles, unbelievers, people who don't care anything at all about God, what do they do? Well, they greet people who are just like them. Even the, the Golden State Killer, that weird guy who they just now caught, it's such a strange thing. He loved a certain group of people around him and hated everybody outside him. That comes natural. This is something easy. It's like setting up a target like this. As long as you can hit it, and there's this huge circle, and nobody can hardly miss it. And the Christian life is more than this, he says. They treated each other, and they considered people who are their neighbors to be loving people. It's a natural thing. It's an easy thing. It's what everybody else does. It's a target that you can hit easily and accomplishes absolutely nothing. It takes no training. It takes no effort. It takes no presence of the Holy Spirit. It takes no direction from God. We live like this. If we live like the rest of the world. 
wars being fought in different parts of the world where this one ethnic group wants to protect itself and all its citizens and hates this ethnic group because they've got a, a different history or a different look, and the whole world is like that. Who is your enemy? It's somebody, he says in this passage, he says it's a person who opposes you, maybe even persecutes you, but I'm going to say this, I don't think anybody in here is persecuted, so we can often say that this passage doesn't apply to us. But let me tell you who also is your enemy. It's your irritant. Does anybody have an irritant in your life? They don't offend you necessarily, they don't attack you, they don't oppose you physically, but they just irritate the holy smokes out of you. You know anybody like this? They have a personality so against you, so different from yours, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Do you hear it? All the way down to make sure oh, your back just kind of spine upright. It's the person who talks too loud and is obnoxious. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the person who when you, when you say a rhetorical question, they answer out loud. You know what I mean, Randy? I was hoping you'd fall for it. It's, it's, it's the person, and most of the time you say, well, watch out, you're going to offend somebody in here. Don't worry, the irritant doesn't know he's an irritant. He doesn't. He has no clue the effect he's having on you. And here's how you can tell. You get together with other people who, who obey the conventions of our behavior. It's like when we talk, but you and me, uh, we have a personal distance. But this irritant doesn't know that, and he'll come right up here. And he doesn't wait in line with everybody else. He jumps in line. He doesn't know the regular way to behave in groups of people. And it drives you crazy. And when you get to, together with other people, you start talking about the irritant. And everybody says the same thing because they all feel the same way about the guy. Maybe they sing too loud. Maybe they talk too much. Maybe they talk on their phone in public. Oh, having this big, long conversation in the doctor's office on speakerphone. I don't want to know what you're doing. You're an irritant. These are people who are, they are your enemy. And they live in your life. They're everywhere. And it's almost like because we don't call them an enemy, we think, well, the Bible really has nothing to say about this. That's not true. Jesus is talking about your irritant right now in this passage. It's this person that everybody avoids at all costs, if you see them at Walmart, you go down a different aisle, you go to a different section, you don't even need anything from. Maybe you're even at church and you start seeing them, you go to a different class, or you go to a different room just to avoid them for a while. You either talk about them and kind of laugh or you, you kind of ignore them the best you can. We all have irritants. They are the enemies that are most commonly in your life. They test you, they test me. And many times I treat them just like most people in the world would. I see why most people in the world treat their irritants this way, and I follow suit because I'm thinking, I'll just do like everybody else does. And I can see how a Pharisee came to this conclusion. If we love our, our neighbors, then that means the rest of the sentence, if God would have completed the sentence, would have said, love your neighbors, and boy, don't have to love your enemies. Jesus will have none of that. He absolutely revolts against that. And while all the tax collectors and the others, it says in verse 47, and even the Gentiles would all testify that love your neighbor and hate your enemy makes total sense and it's the most reasonable thing to do, Jesus stands against them all and says, no, that's not what God intended. He did speak to this. He said, love your neighbor, period, and your enemy is your neighbor. 
There's not a separate category. God didn't just leave them off and leave it up to you to finish the sentence. God said exactly what he wanted to say. Love your neighbor as yourself. And your enemy, he is your neighbor. He says, I want a different target. This one's too easy. This target we use to shoot, too easy. You can't hardly miss. I want to use this one. This is the kingdom target. It's harder. It's like the one you've got on your lapel if you've got this orange thing. I want us to be a church that shoots for God-like targets, not for targets established by the world that's fallen. I don't want us to shoot and say, hey, hey, can we live a kind of life that everybody else finds reasonable? No, I want us to live a kind of life that God finds pleasing. That's what Jesus is calling us to, something higher and something greater. And what kind of target is this? This is called the kingdom target. It's not like the world target that's open. You see how hard that is on that screen? If you're going to love like God loves, that means loving your enemy, and smack dab in the middle is your enemy. From one, two, three, four, five, that's family. That's family, your husband, your wife, and sometimes they're your enemy too, right? Sometimes. But most often, one, two, three, four, five, that's your, that's your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad. That's the people you love and you're around all the time, and it's easy to love them. It gets a little harder at five, six. These are your friends. These are your coworkers. You get a little bit farther, but you get to nine and ten, that's loving somebody who doesn't like you, who doesn't believe like you, doesn't look like you, has a different history than you do. It's not the natural kind of person you'd hang around. Those are the people that if you're going to love like God loves and you're going to have a kingdom target to shoot for, those are the people you love. God's standard. It's different. God's standard says the reason God left it at love your neighbor as yourself is because your enemy is your neighbor. Jesus was once asked, who is my neighbor and what does it mean to love him? Those are the two questions that they asked. Who is my neighbor and what does it mean to love them? And Jesus says, well, I'm going to answer both questions and I'm going to answer it with a story. Does anybody know what story it was? The Good Samaritan. A Jewish person was beat up, left on the side of the road, bleeding, right, dying or whatever, and all these people pass by, and there comes this Samaritan who has nothing in common with this Jew. They've been taught to hate each other, but he stops and he helps this person, and he gets them the care that they need. Wow, what is the answer then? When you use that story to answer the question of who is your neighbor and what does it mean to love, what are the answers? Everybody's your neighbor. Everybody you ever run across is your neighbor. And you are to love them. What does love mean? It's not warm, gushy feelings of emotion and affection. It's not that. When you love your enemy, you're not asked to love them from an emotional point in your heart where you just cannot, cannot withhold affection from them. No. Love means serve and commit to a person. I'll give you an example like this. You, you've got neighbors that you don't know in this church. Some of you sit over in this section over here, and some sit way over there, and you, don't, you may not even know that this person sitting over here is a member at Valley View. Melissa and I were shopping yesterday, and I try to avoid Walmart at all costs. At all costs. I will go around the world to avoid it. I thought, we got to get Mother's Day cards. Let's just go to Dollar General. They're cheaper anyway. So we're going through the cards at Dollar General, and I'm talking about, you know, I know we probably should go to Walmart and get better cards, but they're cheaper here, and it's a lot less crowded. And I was talking up and down this row, right? Melissa and I were up and down the row with this, and there was a lady in the middle. I didn't even pay attention to the lady. It was Debbie Blankenship. Are you here? 
I finally realized I'm walking by this Valley View member. That's terrible. Melissa didn't realize who she was. I said, hey, she said, you should be ashamed of what you're saying about your mother in the middle of Dollar General. You got to be careful. You don't know when you're going to run across a Valley View person. And it's like, it's like eavesdropping everywhere you go. But what happens if there's a member at Valley View who's in the hospital at St. Bernard's? You don't even know who they are. Their name is in the bulletin, and we give that bulletin to give you fuel for your prayers at home. But maybe somebody's in the hospital at Valley View, and you say, you know what? I don't even know who they are. I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about these people. But you know what? I know they're a brother and sister of mine because they come to Valley View with me, and I want to love them. What's it mean to love somebody? It doesn't mean to have warm, fuzzy feelings. It means I'm going to check on you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to send you a card. I'm going to just see how you are. And I don't even know who you are, but I know your brother and sister. To love your neighbor doesn't require warm, fuzzy feelings. It requires a commitment to do for them in a way that meets a need that they have that you can meet. So love your neighbor. And so here's the standard. Here's the target. God says, I want you to know that your, your enemy is your neighbor. There's a target for you to shoot for. Don't, don't, don't hit blindly. Go for the real thing for God. The second standard is set by Jesus. He says to them, what I want you to do is I want you to love your enemy and I want you to pray for your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a teaching of Jesus. But don't you know a few years later it was an actual example of Jesus? Jesus who created all people. God created the world through Jesus. And Jesus created people. And Jesus comes to earth in a world of people. And he lets his creation put the creator on a wooden cross, hold his hands down, and nail him there. Nail his hands, both hands, his feet, put a cross on his head of thorns, and then jolt that thing into the ground, and then look up at the creator. The creation looks at the creator and makes fun of him and belittles him, little knowing that creature, that creator, could easily just look at him and destroy them. And what does he do instead? He mutters over and over again, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's a target to shoot for. But he just took his cue from his father, the creator of all things, right? The designer of all things. And there's God up in heaven. He did not wind up the world and just let it go. He's sustaining the world too. And it says in this passage, it says that God is up there and he's looking down at the world of humanity and it's a mess. Would you agree? It's a mess. We are rebellious. We are stubborn. Even when we do declare the name of God, we're disobedient. We, we just have all, and there's some of us that shake our fists at God and some of us who don't believe in God and curse his name using his name and all all these people living like this, and God looks down on them and says, I'm going to send sunshine on your shoulder to make you happy. There's one. That's not country. He delights in sending sunshine on people who curse him. And then, when they've got a bad drought and it's about to ruin their crop, he looks at these unrighteous, wicked people and sends rain. He allows them to go singing in the rain. That's not country either. Singing in the rain. He delights to give them rain. What kind of a God 
while we shake our fist at him, blesses us. That's the God we serve. He acts according to his character no matter how we act. That's a principle to shoot for. Let's act according to principle, not by how people treat us. Principle, not impulse. That's the God we serve. Shoot for that target. That's impressive. Choose the right one. Why would you want to do this? Why would anybody want to live the Christian life where we're required to shoot for a target where we have to love our enemies and those who don't like us and are unlike us? Because of verse 46 says we're going to get a greater reward. We're shooting for something more than a, than, a, than, than a thumbs up from our fallen humanity. If we take our cue for how we're to live by our fellow man, our fellow man says, yep, that's what I would have done. Oh, thumbs up, way to go. Instead, what we are doing is we're trying to please a creator, and he wants to give us an attaboy. You want a high five from God, or do you want a thumbs up from fallen humanity? Which do you want? The greater reward comes from the person who chooses a greater target, a harder task. And he wants us to shoot for it. He wants us to strive for something more than approval of our fellow fallen human being. Second, to go beyond what others do, verse 47. What he means by others is everybody else. I want you to go beyond what everybody else does by nature. You want to be average? Anybody ever want to just say, I want to get up, I want to do this thing. I want to, start the, I want to join the baseball team to be average. I want to go to school and I want to be average. I want to be kind of like, well, no, you're shooting for the best. You want a championship. You want an MVP. You want the best. You want the best. Do more than what other people do. I can remember a time of my, one of my greatest failures in this. Melissa was teaching in the classroom. And she, she was always given the most difficult students. And I don't know why. I think it's because she just has this disposition in her heart. She's an excellent teacher. I think they knew that. And they gave her the challenging stuff because she would never complain, except to her husband. She would never complain. She had a student one time in the middle of the day. They called me and said, would you come and pick up your wife and take her to the health department to get a tetanus shot? You know what that means, right? I thought maybe she stepped on a nail. No. One of her students decided to go AWOL and run onto the highway and just go running away from school. Melissa was the closest one. She's in pretty good shape. She tracked that kid down, tackled her on the roadside, right? And that kid didn't like it, so she turned around and chomped her real good on her arm. Drew blood. It was nasty, right? So I have to go and pick her up and take her to the health department. I am furious. Right? Because this is ridiculous. How can a school let this kind of thing happen? And I go to the school, and I meet with the principal, you know, afterwards, after we get the tetanus shot, and she's all there. And, and Melissa was only bothered by it. She was kind of hurt by it. She gets hurt. I get mad. Anybody else relate to this? She can get hurt all she wants. I'm furious. And so I'm telling this principal, something needs to be done about this kid. Right? What I failed to ever do in that whole conversation between taking her to the health department and taking her back was asking her what she thought. And for weeks, I never asked her what she thought. Her mom was breathing into my ear, you need to do something to get that kid out of her. I know, and I'm going to fight for that, right? You know what Melissa wanted? Another crack at the kid. 
Because everybody else has dished this kid off, dished this kid off, and toss him off, and toss him over there. And she wanted her back in that classroom because she needed to have one place where somebody says, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm going to be right here. And I was ashamed of myself for fighting so hard against what she was doing, the greater thing. Everybody else would dish the kid off. Somebody needs to be like God and say, no, you're staying right here. And that's what happens to us. We've got to go beyond what others do. We've got to be more than what... I I expect more of Christian teachers, don't you? I expect more of Christian law enforcement people. I expect more of Christian businessmen. I don't expect less. I don't expect you to do what everybody else does. I expect more, and God does too, which leads to the third one. We're going to be like God when we do this. You are never more like God than when people don't like you and you love them anyway. You will never be. That's why he says at the end of this passage, be perfect. You know what he means by that? When you are able to deal with your irritants and you're able to love them despite what everything within you naturally says, that's when you you have reached the imitation of God. That's why you live by this target. Church, anybody can live by this one. Anybody can live by this one, and most of the world operates by this one. And if you live by this one, you come to church, and you go out, and you treat people basically with courtesy, and you come back here and worship again, and nothing ever changes, and you just treat everybody who's like you, like you, and you just avoid everybody who's an irritant, you're like everybody else in the world. And God's called us to more than that. God's called us to greater aspiration than that. This target means, well, I'll tell you, There's a couple of points I want to make that didn't fit anywhere else, and so I'm going to put them right here. You can't be like God without having irritants and enemies in your life. If you have been able to figure out how to nullify and neutralize every enemy and irritant by figuring out a path to take that avoids them all, you are short-circuiting God's effort to make you like him. We need to have irritating enemies in our lives to muster within ourselves the kind of love God wants us to have. If you, I believe every one of us needs to go out here, and this is where I fail the worst. We need to have friends who are homosexual people. Even if we never convert them, even if they never care about your faith, you need to have a friend who doesn't believe exactly like you do, and you need to love them anyway, and then you're like God. It's not just enough to be morally good and just live your life and do your Lord's Supper every Sunday. You need to have enemies that you love. And if you don't, you are short of God, and you're short of what God called you to. You need to have people who irritate the far out of you, and you need to have people who don't like you, and you need to have people people of a different color, and you need to have a different socioeconomic background, and you need to have people who are irritating to you, you must have them. And if you avoid them, you're not being like God. You're wimping out and you're being like the world, and God will have none of it. Go out and find a friend who's the weirdest person you've ever met in your life, who doesn't believe anything that you do and may never, and you love them anyway. Then we'll talk about you being like God. One last thing to say. You come in here by invitation of God and you draw near into his presence and you look into his face. And the reason is 
He's worthy of worship. Worthy means I find his life worth, worth worshiping. And you come into this presence and you sing praise to him. And you say, God, you are everything that, that is perfection. You are morally right. You're whole, holy and pure. You are everything I'd like to be. That's half your worship. The other half is, God, I want to draw close enough to you to know what you look like so that when I leave here, I can look a little more like you than I was before. You are not just here to appreciate him. You are here to draw close to imitate him. If you come up this hill and all you do is appreciate and worship and you leave and everything's the same when you get back, you've done nothing that the world wouldn't do. What you're supposed to do is come up that hill, come into his presence, get close to his face, look at him real close like Moses did, and then you're to leave and go back down that hill and be a little more like God than you've ever been. When Moses came into the presence of God and he went back to the people, his face glowed because he started looking like God. And if you're not looking more like God, and you've been going to church for 50 years and you look more, no more like God than you did 50 years ago, something's wrong with your worship. Because most of the world doesn't believe that. Listen to this from The Shack. When I did a book review on The Shack, which I like the book and the story, but this page annoyed me. And here's what, uh, Mac is the, is the guy that the Trinity is talking to. So, you mean, Mac said, that I just can't ask what would Jesus do when I'm trying to figure out what to do? Jesus chuckled. Good intentions, but a bad idea. Let me know how that works for you. Seriously, my life was not meant to be an example to copy. Being my follower is not trying to be like Jesus. That's baloney. It's not enough to worship. The highest form of praise is not worship. The highest form of praise is imitation. I want to be like him. And you're never more like him than when people don't like you and you love them anyway. That's imitation. You see, the only reason any one of you is the family of God, you must remember you have a past life. Do you know what you were first? You were first an enemy of God. You were opposed to him. Your mind was everything against him, and he was against you. He was after you. You were running from him. You were an enemy from God, an enemy of God, and do you know what he did? He loved you anyway. While you were still powerless, while you were still an enemy, Christ died for you so that when you come to your senses, you you can turn around and you can call him father instead of enemy. And every one of you, while you're the family of God now, you surely have a memory that lets you remember you were an enemy before. And the only reason you can be family now is because God loves his enemies. And if that's what our father does... That's what his children should do. This morning, I want you to know something. If you're not in the family of God, I hope that you are. But if you're not in the family of God, there's only one other status that's out there. You're either family or enemy of God. That's the two options. And if you're running from him because of something you've done, you're running from him because you're afraid of him, you're running from him because of your sin, I want you to know you are an enemy of God, but it need not stay that way because we serve a God, thank God, who loves his enemies and does everything he can to make his enemies his friends. And the way he does it is he died for them through his son. 
so that one of these days when they come to their senses, they can turn around and accept that sacrifice and be turned instantly from an enemy to family. I want you to know I would long, and the elders here would long to know that everybody who leaves this building today leaves as family, not enemy of God. That would be the greatest thing of today. Repent. Turn around. Quit running from God. Turn around and face him. Confess the name of his son Jesus and be immersed and you walk out of here family, not an enemy of God. These are every person in here is a former enemy of God. Is that not true? We're every one of us, we were enemies of God, but now we're family. We long for the same for you. And one of the ways we want to communicate that is when we run across enemies out there, Let's love them like God did. This is your target, church. You've got it on your lapel as a symbol here. This is your target. No easy, wimpy target. This is a hard target. This is the kingdom target. Love your enemies. This morning, I challenge you this week, love your enemies. Find those irritants and love them. Serve them. And if you're not in the family of God, if you're an enemy, please change. Please repent as we stand and sing to encourage you.